Today, we're, we're going to keep going in our foundations for, for freedom, and, and this has all been about what we would call a street-level view, a pavement-level walk of how do, we, how do we have freedom in Christ, and how do we actually walk out the truths of Scripture. And today, I'm going to talk to you out of Joshua 7. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. It's right in the very front part of your Bible, Joshua 7 about what it means to be separated. You know, I, I think that there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, when, you, when you think about separation and, and, and being separated, right? Uh, that's all I really knew to call it. What does it mean to, to live separated? Because I think there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of misconception about this idea of what it means to, to be holy. Right, you know, so we think when we think when you think of holiness, like what does you a, a holy person? What is your maybe this? Do you do you think um, do you think that's like what it means like being a monk? You know, I, I could never make it as a monk because a lot of times they do vows of silence and automatically I'm out. Right, I mean, I just can't I can't live in that realm. Right, I, I'm I'm sure there's a, a wing in heaven for the there's there's you know there's introverts and then there's kind of people in the middle and then there's extroverts and then there's like me, you know, and and I'm very comfortable with that. And it, part of my mission in life is to make introverts really nervous and 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 I, I do do a, do well with that, you know. But I think uh, I, I I couldn't make it as a monk. I, I probably just couldn't. I think I could take. Uh, a lot of the, some of the order, but boy, those vows of silence would kill me. Or, or maybe when you think of somebody who's holy, you think of like the angry preacher, right? The, the angry preacher. That's actually Billy Sunday, and uh, he was uh, very famous. I, I don't know. It just kind of, I don't know if, he, if, if Billy Sunday was an angry dude, but boy, he, he, he probably should have looked at it right there. He was mad about something right there. He's about to punch the Word of God, you know, uh, right? And, but, you know, I don't, some, and some of you, I don't know what you grew up with in church, but when you grew up in church, like a lot of you grew up with angry preachers. Like, you know, like there, there's an old joke in my trade craft about um, when in doubt, yell. You know, uh, just uh, when, when in doubt, raise your volume. Some of you grew up with like preachers. I actually remember as a little boy when, uh, when my mom would go to church uh, with where my grandmother went uh, there in Tullahoma. At the time, we had this pastor and I won't call his name because he may be your great-great-grandfather or something. You just never know. And I, I liked him a lot. He always spoke to me, which I thought was really cool. He, uh, but that was back in the 70s, you know. And so, like, preachers wore, like, a different suit every Sunday. I mean, he must have had 120 suits because, you know, they were. At the, and that's, of course, it was the 70s. It was polyester, you know. <laughs> Come on. Hey, listen, you haven't told me. You, you cannot educate me on anything fashion unless you know what it means to wear polyester suits and stacks, right? I mean, come on, man. Uh, those those. A lot of you, you know, millennials, y'all Google those images. I lived that stuff, man, right? But he had on these really cool suits, and he would sweat a lot, right? But one of, the, one of, his, one of his trademarks was, I got I to gotta put my, I got to close my Bible here because uh, I'll, I'll knock it off. One of the things he would do is, I, I mean, you're just a kid. You're like seven years old. Your mom made you go to church, and so you did, and you put on the stiffest jeans. I don't know where mom bought these. My mom listens to these sermons all the time, and she's used Mom bought these... Mom always wanted me to wear your church clothes, right? And so they were, they, you know, you know, church clothes, wear your church clothes. And they were always stiff jeans, like brand new. And you kind of walked like Frankenstein because you couldn't bend. You know? But this, this guy, I'd be, I'd be sitting there and, you know, dozing off. But about four or five times during that sermon, this pastor would go, boom! And he would like hit, he would hit the podium, the pulpit. I mean, the whole place would jump, you know. And that's what I remember about church. I remember the angry preacher, you know. It's like... 
I always used to think as like an eight-year-old kid, I, I used to think, wow, like he's, what have these people done? You know, you know, what, what have they done? And he wasn't, he wasn't an angry guy. He was just, that's just what you did. You know, some of you grew up, you grew up under that God calling, you know, God, God was that, God was that, that, that serious policeman in the sky, right? That you're just really hoping he didn't get mad at you today, right? Right? Or, or maybe, maybe the idea of holiness for you, when you think of holy people, you always think of these snobs. You ever been around the, the, the righteous elite, you know, like, like this, like the church lady, you know, you ever, you ever been around like, you know, the, the, come on, come on people of the eighties, you know, those were funny. Okay. I mean, some of those were really funny. You know, the, the church lady, and isn't that special, you know, and, and aren't you just little Satan, you know, that kind of thing, right? I mean, some of those were just awesome, but that when you think about the church lady and some of you are going, what in the world? Okay, I don't know what's out there on YouTube with the church lady. I'm just putting a disclaimer. There's probably some off-color stuff. It is SNL, but the skits I remember in my mind were like, oh, wow, that's a little close to home, you know, with church right? So, so if you don't know the church lady, she was always condescending and righteously pious about everybody. And everybody was just a, everybody, but the church lady was going to hell. That's what's going to happen, right? And so that's how it works. But, but today we're going to, we're actually, so I think sometimes when we think about, when we think about righteousness and holiness, we get this idea that it's either A, really hard, B, really condescending, or you're, you're just the kind of person that nobody's going to want to hang out with. And I don't think any of that's true. I, I think that, but, but it, doesn't, it doesn't negate the fact that, that righteousness and holiness matter in our walk in freedom. And so today uh, we're going to look in Joshua. We're going to look in Joshua 7. Okay, so, so here, let me give you the quick context real fast. So Israel's going through some battles. The people of God are going through some battles. And God has called them... We better get off the church lady image. I can't preach with Dana Carvey looking over me for a minute. That's a little, I, I messed y'all up, man. I'm sorry. I should have put a filler. I try to put fillers in there. Uh, and so uh, we'll get to the next one in a minute. I just, I kept looking like, who is that over my shoulder? So in, in this, in this context of the story, you see the people of God, God has called the people of God to, to clean out. He's called them to fight the Canaanites and he's told them don't take anything from their camp. You see, the, the, the Canaanite people were, 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 um, they were pagan worshipers, false god worshipers, and they, were, they, were, uh, they, had a, they had a lot of sin practices. In other words, in many ways, they were the absolute opposite of everything God wanted for his people. And so he told them, don't walk in their camps, don't abide with them, don't make friends with them, don't marry them, or they will make you like them. So in this whole battle, coming up to, to this group called Ai, this battle of Ai's is a famous battle where Israel had to go and literally go to war. And God told them to clean out the camp. And one of the specific instructions he gave was, don't take any of their stuff. Don't, don't take their goblets, don't take their swords, don't take their money, don't take anything. I don't, want, I don't want you associated with any part of these people, okay? Well, there's this guy named Achan, and Achan doesn't listen. 
Achan, this, it's one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture when it comes to the power of being clean before the Lord. And so Achan decides, yeah, you know, but I mean, it's a long story, so I'm, I'm kind of giving you the paraphrase. But Achan decides in that, well, I don't know. I mean, what's going to hurt with just taking a, a few goblets? What's going to hurt with taking a few some silver? I mean, it's free money. It's just sitting there. So what he does is he goes and he takes this stuff and he hides it in his tent, right? And thinking that nobody's going to know. Well, it turns that, that he's found out. And, and God is deeply grieved. And so the story picks up there in verse 19 of Joshua 7. So, jo so this is where we're going to pick it up. So Joshua says to Achan, verse 19, my son... It's an endearment term. I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you've done. Don't hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua, and he said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, <clears throat> the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle, from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. I coveted them. That means I wanted it. And I took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And, and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. And they took them from inside the tent. And they brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. And Joshua said to all of Israel with him, and he took, I'm sorry, then Joshua and all the Israel with him took Achan, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And Israel stoned them with stones. And they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. And therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor, or that is the Valley of Trouble, unto this day. Severe story. I mean, the whole family is taken down because of this thing. It, it's, and, and so, it's, so here's the question that, that I want to put in front of you this morning. Because it's hard to find. One of the questions I ask myself, like, you know, this is, this is, I mean, this is a strong story. And so I kind of drew this flywheel, right? When it comes to... Where do I find myself, and where do I find Clearview, and where do I find myself in the story of Achan? It's hard to put yourself in that story. You know, we try to look at how do these things apply to me. So where, what we're going to do this morning is we're, we're going we're gonna to take some truths that we can learn from this story about where, where do we fit in this? Because I will promise you that there is a place that we fit in this story, and I'll tell you why, why it's that way. When you, see if I can say, I'm going to try to say this, what's in my head, and get it across my, I don't preach from a manuscript, if you didn't know, which gets me in trouble sometimes, but I, I'm going to try to work this out in front of you for a minute. 
there, there's an Americanized version of the gospel that can be very problematic. And it doesn't mean that we're bad people. It means we're Americans. We were born in America. That's how we look at the world. It is impossible, it is impossible for me to look at the gospel through the eyes of somebody from the Sudan. I don't wear Sudanese eyes. I wear American eyes. And so, so in, 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 the Western, in the Western world, the gospel is incredibly individualistic. Okay? And I think a lot of that's because we're capitalists. Well, I think it's because we were born and raised that everything rises and falls on you, right? Rub some dirt on it, get back in the game kind of thing. It, it, it's, it, so, so when it comes to the gospel, look, look, look just, I want you to like, step back. If you could like levitate for a minute over your life, levitate like a drone over the last 30 to 40 years in, in Christianity, and let's even go so far as to say churchianity, Right? Let's, let's, let's levitate out. and what, Think about our songs. Think about how we do programming at church. Everything, I say everything, most everything is about me. And, and one of these days I'm going to write a book. I may self-publish it. Four people may read it. I don't know. But I, I'm, the working title in my head, and you can't take it because this podcast and this video is showing that I'm trademarking it right now in front of everybody. Um, it, it, I'm calling it the retail Christianity. Because retail Christianity is, is, is all about the amenities and it's all about the programming and it's all about what, what... I mean, think about it, y'all. We even... Think about how you hear people looking for churches all the time. Well, you know, they, they say, well, we're, we're, gonna, we're going to a place that's best for my family. Where is that in the New Testament? Because the only thing that... And, and I'm not saying you should look for a place that's good for your family, but that, that should be like second, third, fourth, seventh. Because what I want my sons to understand is I want them to understand the power of sacrifice. I want them to understand that God, God has never called us to be a perfect church, but he has called us to be a sacrificial church. We, you're celebrating this week, even with Monday, Thursday. We have Monday, Thursday coming up this Sunday from 6 to 8. You're going to see an email blast about it. I really hope you get a chance. It's a kind of open house. You come when you want. It's 6 to 8 this coming Thursday if you haven't heard about it. It's going to be a powerful night. And it's about the sacrifice that Jesus made. That's what the church was built on. The church that we, that, that we worship in and the God that we worship was all built on somebody having to die for it to happen. So, so the, but the American model has so become individualistic that it's really, 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 really hard for us to see why, why would God hold an entire group of people, not just the family, like all of Israel, why would he hold all of them accountable for one dude? But you see... That's not a Western idea, but it is a Bible idea. It is a Bible idea. And the reason that stories like this make so much sense to me is because I've always viewed the people of God as just that, the people of God. It's why you hear us talking so much at Clearview about our own individual holiness because we are a people. And there's one thing that did not change. There's many things that didn't change from Old Testament to New Testament. But one of the chief things that never changed is from the beginning of time, God was separating a people for himself. 
He was pulling out a group of people, and he was calling them to a higher standard. Not just for moral sake, actually for purity's sake, because Jesus, right out of the gate, Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say? Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? They will see God. Purity matters before the Lord. And your purity and my purity, not to say perfection, don't ever instant. See, that's what we do. We, we think, oh, like perfection. There's no such, that we, it's impossible to attain that. But purity and perfection are two different things. Purity is about your want to, right? Purity is about your want to. It's about your deepest desires of your heart. It's your hungerings and your appetites. And so from that perspective, we can put ourselves in that. So what can we learn from Achan? What can we learn from Achan's whole idea? Well, here's the first thing we can learn, right? Sin is never purely personal. When you look at the story, so write that down if you're taking notes. Right? Sin is never, let's go to the next one. Sin is, is nearly, ne- never purely personal. So did you, did you notice with Achan's story that he thought his sin and what he hid from God was just going to be only his? It's like, like you ever heard that term, it's a victimless crime? No such thing. Like no such thing. We even see it in the, in the, in the music industry or in the, in the world of intellectual property rights, or in the world of insurance. People, it's, it's, it's really funny. Uh, not funny, but it's, I, I, I mean that it's uh, ironic. It's really ironic that you can take really good and moral people, but they don't mind fudging on their insurance policy about the claim. Because they think, oh, it's just a big agency. Big agencies are true, but they're made up of people with mortgages and light bills and kids that go to college. And so those things matter. Sin is never purely personal. What Achan did affected a whole bunch of people. Here's another truth about what we learned from Achan's story is that sin is never forever private. Sin is never forever private. It's, it's never purely personal and it's never forever private. We really think somehow that, that if we sin against God, or if we're walking in a habitual sin, that, that it's just going to be private, and it's just private in my life. And I can promise you, one way or the other, it's going to be found. And it's not that God is going to always do it. Sometimes God does bring things and reveal it, but I will tell you, many times the devil will make sure of it. He will make sure that the things that you think are hidden, they're just not Achan thought his sin was private, and it wasn't. But I'll tell you another bigger truth that I see about Achan is, is maybe a third one, is that sin, sin never leaves you the way it found you. Sin never leaves you the way it found you. Did you, did you notice in the story, and I paraphrased a lot of it, and then we got to the confession because he got caught. He didn't. He, he just confessed. He got caught. But did you notice... Now his entire family is paying the price. Now the people of God are paying the price. There's, there's a whole lot going on here that, that really does affect the, the entire tribe. So when it comes to separation, what can we learn? When it comes to, to like being separated, we're talking about freedom and how that plays out. Why, why are we called to be separated? Because Achan, Achan in the end, Achan hid something, Right? He hid something. And in that hiding, I I think it reveals when you hide things, 
it, it reveals a, a dysfunctional view of the sovereignty of God. God was trying to bring them into places where they weren't in bondage. So you tend to only hide things out of fear. You tend to only hide things out of what if everybody knew or if you just don't want to let go of it. But it, either, either way, it, it reveals some things about God that you've got to learn the truth on. So we're going to talk for a second about separation, okay? We're going to talk a, a little bit about what is it. Now, so let's, let, we, we know what he did. We know what he did, but, but let's walk it into now. How, does that, how do we find ourselves in that story? We, we know what happened. Let's tackle for a second why God wants you to live in freedom and how that applies to your life and why it matters to your own walk with God to be free. Well, I would say the, the, the first part of, of understanding why your holiness to God matters is, number one, God wants to protect me, right? It's about your protection. God wants to protect you. God, want, God wants me, he, he's calling me to be holy out of my own protection. Did you notice in the story that, that I mean, Achan died. Like it, it didn't end the way he thought it was going to end. God, God wants you separated for your own protection. Now, I'm going to give you four Ps, and I don't like alliteration, but for whatever reason, it worked this week. All right? So he called him out because he wanted to protect you. See, let me tell you something about boundaries, okay? Let me tell you why boundaries matter. When God tells you to stay away from forbidden things, it's not because he wants to be a killjoy. That's not what he's doing. When God puts boundaries around things like do not lie, I tell this to my sons all the time, things like what? I mean, many, many times as a dad driving down the road, I've said things to them like, why do you think God tells you, even in the Ten Commandments, you shall not lie? Is it because he just likes it when you're honest? No. Not too long ago, I had a, I had a conversation with Tucker about, about, about just, uh, we were just talking about, in, in theory, uh, drive time is really good for me because they can't get away. You know, I mean, they, they, they can't exit, you know, and so uh, I, try to, I try not to overdo it, you know, and, and go like on these 20-minute runs. Sometimes this is five or six minutes at the most, right? But we're talking that particular day, we're talking about honesty, and, and this is a while back, and I said, and I said, why do you think God wants us to be honest? No, not, not because, it, is it kind not to lie? Well, yeah, true. No, it's because if you're going be, to be living with other human beings, nobody's going to trust you. You're going, to have a, you're going to have no friends because you're going to wreck all kinds of stuff if you lie. And people don't forget that stuff. They don't forget it. Why, why does God say things to you like about the covenant of marriage in terms of sex? Why is that? Is it because, is it because he doesn't want somebody to have multiple sexual partners? No. Because he knows that if you violate covenant, it is going to wreak havoc on your life, on that person's life, it, it can wreak havoc in all sorts of ways, far beyond just unplanned pregnancy. It has to do with image. It has to do with walking under guilt and shame. I remember one time at Belmont, I preached this, uh, this sermon series called Good Sex, and uh, that was well attended because and, uh, and, and, we had a ton of college students. And I remember on that first Sunday, 
I was preaching on like all the, the beautiful parts. Because I think, let me tell you something, parents. I think we have done a disservice in Christianity, oh, I don't know, maybe forever, about not educating our children on the beauty of that. It is, it is, it is beautiful. But we, we just tend to say, no, 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 whoa, no. Don't think, don't talk, don't think. No, no, not, not, that, that doesn't work. Look at the statistics. That hasn't worked. Right? So... I preached this series, and, and, uh, and uh, Michelle knows I, 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 I'm like really off the cuff as a minister. This story wasn't even planned, but I'm in it now. Um, and so uh, I, we had to have a long sit down on that for that series, boy. Um, so in that, I, the, after the first Sunday, she's like, what, what was it like looking at the people? I said, well, it's weird. I preached to a lot of head tops. See, because what I, I, remember, I remember that specific day. I, I remember that specific sermon. And I, and I said, so many of you wanted to be closer to the person that you love, and you really do love each other. But the problem is, you thought that would bring intimacy. And what you found is it brought chaos. It brought, why, why do you experience shame? You shouldn't. If you're in covenant... You see how this plays out? See, God, God is trying to keep us. When he puts boundaries, when he tells you don't have greed, get greed out of your life, it's a boundary. He's saying don't go over there. It will bite you and it will hurt. See, so, so God wants us to be holy for our own protection. That, that, that's a big part of it. Here's another reason, though. God wants to preserve his people. In, in the story of Achan, what do you see? In the story of Achan, you see a whole bunch of people affected because of one person's sin. God wants to keep us preserved from that. He really does. So churches can be affected by the sin of a few. Can we agree? Entire churches. The entire, the entire church at Corinth. That's like, I don't know, a reality show. If you read the, about the church of Corinth, right? I mean, they got all kinds of stuff going on in that church. And they couldn't move forward. They were dysfunctional. Why? Because of, it wasn't the whole church doing it, but it was some. Because what I've learned is that if, if we model sin for one another, then people learn from it. So God wants his people to be preserved. And that's why he told Achan, Achan, it's not about the silver. It's not about the gold. In fact, the very next battle, you know what, you know what, you know what the bummer is for, for people like Achan? Like the next battle, God said, go get all of it. Take all of it. Just not the Canaanite stuff. There was a reason they were different. So, so how, do we, how, how do we keep living under this idea of finding that freedom actually gives beyond me? It is beyond me. But there's another reason. Is, 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 I'll, I'll give you a third one. God wants me to be separated to promote his own glory. That's another reason. God wants me separated to promote his own glory. The, 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 the truth is, if, if you understand, this, this is what I love about Joshua. Look in verse 9. Look in verse 9 right here. So, so let's go to verse 8. Joshua says, O oh Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. 
And what will you do for your own great name? You see, Joshua was super concerned that the sin of Israel as a camp was going to tarnish God's reputation. It doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean that we are, we are not people who sin. I'm still forever working through the idea that the Bible calls me a saint. I've had to learn that has nothing to do with how I feel about me. But the New Testament calls me a saint. It means holy one, separated one. We tend to refer to one another as sinners. According to, you can do that. But according to the New Testament, you're not a sinner. You're a saint who still sins. And there's a difference. You're a saint who sins. And that's really hard to think about. Because you see, sainthood is not some person living in a monastery or somebody taking a vow of silence for 50 years. We think of sainthood as, you know, your grandmother. We've all got people like that. That's not sainthood. Sainthood is a position. It's not perfection. To be a saint of God is to, to be in, in a relationship with a God who has set you apart by his own covenant. So, so God is telling his people, look, man, I, I have my own name. And so, so jo- I think it was profound that Joshua immediately connected the dots. That What if the Canaanites hear about this and they're going to say something about your name? So let's talk about that. Our, our own walk before God has a reflection on who God is. And I think that's why God's called us to pray. But here's, here's one, one more. I'm going to give you one more why separation matters so much. And that is to push the kingdom forward. To push the kingdom forward. God, God wants you separated from the contaminated things. He wants you separated from the contaminants. Because here's one thing. And this, this is why this stuff matters so much to me. Because I know that God will visit people. God will, he will put an anointing on people that are truly concerned about living pure lives, not perfect lives, pure lives. That their appetites are pure. God will put his hand on that. Because I can tell you this, the opposite is true though. When, when you... And I, when we aren't concerned with our own personal purity before the Lord, what our mouths say, what our thoughts think, what our body does, when we're not concerned with that, let me tell you, the momentum of the kingdom train stops. I, I, like, I like what Pastor Chris Hodges at, at Highlands in, in Alabama, he says it this way, it's hard to make a difference if you're not different. It's a great quote. It's hard to make a difference if you're not different. And I, I think what's happened so often, and, and, and so many of you, so many of you, especially those of you under 40, you grew up in an era, I kind of grew up in the, as it was changing. Many of you over 50, you, stories like this, a lot of you over 50, oh, you've heard this a lot with Aiken. A lot of you over 50, Man, your church just like took stances 
Your churches took stances on holiness with God. So you're very much used to this. A lot of you under 40, you grew up in an era of, of Americanism where the church really was doing anything it could just to get you to come. Because the church has been declining for so long as a whole. So, so churches became, to using words, instead of using words like sin and holiness, we began to refer to sin as things like hurts, habits, and hang-ups. But I promise you, sin is not a hang-up. Sin is the very reason that we're celebrating a man who rode into a town on a donkey and they killed him. It wasn't for hang-ups or small character flaws. And Jesus, Jesus had to die for you and me. And so God calls us to be separate, but if, if we're not willing to be different, if we're going to look just like the world in every way we can, then it's really going to be hard to make a difference because you don't need Jesus to do that. So, so there's a place in here in Joshua 7. So after it happens, after this whole thing happens with Achan, there's a place in Joshua 7 where Joshua's like, now what? What do we do, God? Right? So let's look in verse 13. In verse 13, God says, rise up, consecrate the people, and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus the Lord God of Israel has said, there are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. Notice he didn't say Achan. There are things under the ban in your midst, and you can't stand. This is, so, this is why I'm talking about God wants to move the kingdom forward. He says, you cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. You see, it was holding up the momentum. It was holding up the idea. The, the, whole, the sin in the camp had permeated it, so now they, they weren't able to make a difference. So what did, what did Joshua, what was he commanded to do? He told all the people, okay, consecrate yourselves. You know what that means? It means stand up and go set yourself apart. In that case, it was some rituals, but, but go and set yourself apart from all of it. Now, that's the Old Testament story. So let's make a move. We see, we see what Achan did, and we see how it affected the whole camp. And to be honest with you, it's pretty heavy. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty heavy. So how does this apply to freedom? Your freedom your ability to walk in the power of the risen Jesus today. And it made me think. It made me think about something that Paul always does. I see it all over, I say always, I see it all over the place in the New Testament. Paul is a master of the compare contrast, not this way, but this way. So if you've got a Bible this morning, I want you to flip it over to Colossians in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3, okay? Flip all the way to the right. To Colossians chapter 3. And there's a place in there that I want you to hear, and I think it applies to what, what we're called to now. Colossians chapter 3, and uh, we're going to look at what Paul calls the new self. And I, as you're getting there, I want you to pay attention. I want your mind, I want you to get ready. I want your mind to listen. I want your ear to listen to some words. There are some actual words here. You're going to hear words like put on. You're going to hear words like 
Put. Put on the new self. Listen to what it's... So think about in terms of taking something off, right? Taking something off and putting something on. That's what he's talking about, okay? And this is going to... And I'm going to explain why this matters in just a minute. Keep seeking. Here we go. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking. That's on me to do. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind... That's on me. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For this, is, this is so good, man. This is like ammunition for your struggles. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now, here we go. Ready? Pay attention. Watch what he says. Therefore, consider. All right, now, what is consider? Everybody look up here for a minute. What is consider? Look at something differently than the way you used to, right? That's what it means. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you once walked when you were living in them, but now you also Put them aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Man, do you see what he's getting at there? You know what he's saying in short? You're not who you used to be. Aren't you glad? I am. You're not who you used to be. See, when you were without Christ and when you didn't have Christ in your life, let me tell you what happened. The Bible calls that total depravity. Okay, That's kind of the, the theological concept. And what that means is that you had no power over sin, none. You were ultimately going to fall Enough pressure, enough time, en enough constant pressure from the spiritual forces of this world, and you were going to cave. You just didn't have any power to overcome it. Without Christ, you were uh, truly a son or daughter of disobedience. But notice what Paul said the whole time. It's about the former life versus the new life. And so now, on this side of the cross, and on this side of the empty tomb, and on this side of the Holy Spirit filling you, you actually have power to make choices. You with me? And that didn't excite you very much, evidently. I'm telling you, it's the best news you've had this week. You actually have Holy Spirit resident power in you to know good from evil. I, I remember watching this, um, this documentary one time on this chef. It was really good. And this guy was some chef in this big New York restaurant, man. And uh, he was trying to, trying to lose weight. First of all, you don't want a skinny chef. I, I don't. Right? I don't want a skinny chef because it tells me they're not eating their product. Right? I, I want to I make sure they're eating some of that stuff. And, and this guy, but this guy was having to you know, cut down on, on food. And, and I remember as he walked through all these different uh, things they made, this person said, the interviewer said, you're not going to taste that? He said, I know how it tastes. And that's the problem. I know how it tastes. He said, that's how I've got myself out of just overeating. I've eaten that cheeseburger before. I don't have to eat it today. I know how it tastes. 
See, that's a man that's grown in wisdom. It's not that John Orberg said it this way one time. He said, the further we go in Christ, it's not, it's not that we don't want to sin or we're not pulled to sin. It's that sin is not as attractive as it used to be. Because you see, we know the difference. I know the end result. I know how this ends. It's not going to do for me. See, the thing that the enemy does is he overpromises and he underdelivers every time. And so the, the, the truth is, if, if you walk in Colossians chapter 3 and you walk in the power of that, Paul talks about put on the, the new self, which is a desire. You actually can do that. You actually can live in freedom. You actually now, you have the potential and the power to make powerful choices that honor God and liberate your own heart. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. Some of you, sin, sin is, 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 is a difficult thing. Coming free from bondage is a difficult thing. It's easy in sermons like this or teaching moments like this to think of the really high-profile gross stuff. By gross, I mean like the profane. It's really easy to think about deeply-seated sexual sin. But what if we didn't do that this morning? What if we pulled back and we went to that drone view and we looked at walking under the power of God over your mouth? What if you looked about the power of God dominating your anxiety? And those deep fears that keep you from the kingdom life. What, what if you pulled back and, and you thought about the, the places that maybe there's a stronghold in your life. Of a deep wound that maybe goes back to your dad. And those places that are hidden and deep and pushed down. That you want freedom from. Because what happened in that deep, deep wound way on back there with your dad is now it's, it's made you an angry person. I mean an angry person. And it's really hard to function. Maybe for you, it's something that happened in your job years ago. Maybe for you, you hear the words somehow played over and over again from a really bad breakup. Or a divorce. And that pain has been shackling you. And it's caused you deep, twisted soul pain. And you're trying to bury it like Aiken did. And man, it's jacking up everything you touch. What if you could get freedom from that? And I'm here to tell you, friend, you can. You can. If you'll take something off and put something on. 
You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world. Is sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.